Blog Talk Radio. Great joy and good afternoon, my friend. The Nepalese meditation bowl is chiming, centering your mind and delight on the art of the CEO. The show that brings you the wisest counsel and one of the most fascinating people in the business community from all around our terrestrial orb. I am Bart Jackson, your Hieronymus Bosch of business. And no doubt, my friend, you're aware of artificial intelligence with all the mysterious cyber magic foaming forth through phones and laptops. But I would bet 10 cents of my own money that you know darn little about the two biggest advances in AI. And first, that is how machines are teaching each other all the better methods of marketing seductions. And number two, most importantly, how these advances are aimed directly, specifically at you. Yes, my friend, as I put it in my book, CEO of Yourself, you are the prize and trillions are spent winning you. So our greatest technology and human minds are being cranked up to bring in, to market your dollars, your votes, your personal beliefs, even your decisions. And so you need to be afraid? Well, no, no, fear is useless. What you need is to be as informed. And by the good grace of the god Ganesh and the clever planning, we have the top expert in cyber seduction marketing, Mr. William Ammerman, author of Invisible Brands Marketing in the Age of Automation, Big Data, and Machine Learning. William has led the, the oh, digital capital of marketing transformation of old capital broadcasting Hearst Tribune Media he's and now is the exec VP of, dig, of for digital media for engage media and he's really become the the, the accepted voice for the, the digital persuasion revolution so with William as our Virgil leading us through the Stygian swamps of marketing uh, where and for those who are seeking to find out just who is commanding your attention behind the scenes and perhaps how you might even uh, take part in this profitable picture, pull up your chair and join us for this feast of wisdom, all carefully cuisined to make your career thrive and your ventures flourish. William, we're so glad that you could join us in real voice in real time uh, for a little old-fashioned conversation. I'm ready to be Virgil. That's uh, quite an introduction. (laughs) <laughs> Wonderful. Well, we're all set for the Stygian swamps. Anyway, uh, uh, well, you, you said that when you wrote, uh, wrote The Invisible Brand, uh, that you did it neither to scare us nor to completely allay our fears, but rather to provide some instructive understanding. So on that step toward uh, instructive standing as, as we're embraced by this growing web of technology, can you define for us what do you mean by invisible brand? Well, first, the invisible brand is the collection of hidden forces, both corporate forces, governmental forces, political, institutional forces, that are all trying hmm. to influence you through your technology, through the devices you carry, the devices you interact with, your phone, your television, your, uh, your, even your car. Um, So this collection of hidden forces is something that I wanted to reveal. I wanted to bring it out into the light, to pull back the curtain and help people, both marketers who might use the technology uh, to seek advantage in the business world, as well as consumers who want to protect themselves and be knowledgeable about how this technology is already at work changing them. I think it's very important that you bring out the point already at work. 
Now, you developed an original term for the, the this new study of the burgeoning field, and you called it psychotechnology, uh, and you said that that has enabled four recent innovations. W- what are these tech innovations? Yeah, so uh, whenever you talk about something, you need a word to talk about it with other people. You need a word to describe it so that we have some common language and some common understanding. And um, I came up with the phrase psychotechnology as uh, uh, really a contraction of the words psychological and technology, merge them together into psychotechnology, because we're talking about technology that influences us psychologically. And it does that using four key trends in technology. The first of those trends Uh is personalization. When you and I sit down next to each other at a coffee shop or at the airport and we flip open our laptops, we view different content. Your Facebook feed is different from my Facebook feed. The ads you see on thenewyorktimes.com are different from the ads I see when I go to thenewyorktimes.com. The information we are consuming has been personalized. And, you know, that's very different from, you know, the era, say, when when I was in college where everything was a broadcast medium. You know, everything came off of radio towers. Everybody received the same signal at the same time. And we've moved from an era of mass broadcasting to an era of mass customization. So that's the first trend. Mm-hmm. I'll pause there. Okay. Right. The second well, trend is – sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that that, that, that is new. It's uh, the messages therefore become more by, pers- by more personal, more powerful, obviously. Absolutely. And that leads into the second trend, which is that persuasion has become a science. We've reached a point where we can A, B, test messages down to the individual level. We're no longer sitting in a corporate boardroom with six people doing a focus group on a TV campaign that will reach millions of people. We're actually doing that focus group in real time. I like to say that Google is the world's largest focus group for a reason. We can actually <laughs> test different messages you know, to different people in real time, and we can optimize campaigns on the fly. So as you are right. you know, receiving information and messages, you're giving back signals. Am I interested in this? Am I clicking on it? Am I interacting with this information? And that, those signals that you're giving off that declare your interest in a subject is being fed back to another person's you know, campaign to say, oh, in this case, this person with these types of signals was persuaded by this messaging. Let's try it on this other person who has a similar profile. And in that way, we tailor campaigns towards key performance indicators that allow us to make persuasion into a science. That's the second major trend. And I might add that with that, you're, you, you talked about bigger numbers. Uh, we had a guest on, Emily A., who, who was a fashion forecaster. And instead of six uh, major fashion people uh, dictating what women will wear, they take millions, tens of millions of pieces of, of, of information about what women are wearing and want to wear. So it, there is a democratization in this, is there not? Yeah, so, you know, if you've ever uh, used an app that crowdsources information, an app, say, like Yelp, 
where you pick restaurants right. based on what other people's impressions are. You've used this kind of crowdsourcing technique. And I've got to tell you from my own personal experience, if there are 700 people who have reviewed a restaurant on Yelp and they've all given it five stars, there's a pretty good chance if I walk into that restaurant, I'm going to have a good experience. And I've, I use that kind of crowdsourced information myself. So we've all experienced that. What we're really talking about now is now we've got trend number three, which is machine learning. And machine learning leverages all of that data, that collection of knowledge, that crowdsourced information, and it harnesses it so that it can not, not only predict the future, but in a very important way, it can prescribe the future. It can change the future. And so that's really what machine learning can do very well for us, is it can start to bend the outcome curve. It can start to change the results by using persuasion and personalized information to change the, the way the campaign is delivered, to change the campaign messaging, depending on who you are and what you like. And pretty soon, we've got persuasion taking over because of machine learning. And that's, a, that's trend number three. Right. Uh-huh. That's, and we'll talk about how that's done in a moment. But uh, I think it's the very fact that we have to sort of take pause and gulp and say machines can learn. And they're learning from uh, actual experiences just in, in the same manner as we do. Would I be correct? Yeah. So um, I'm not positive that it's the exact same method that we use. But no, mathematically, no. what we're doing is we're identifying outcomes and we're bending the uh, feedback, we're bending kind of what we provide to the consumer in terms of messaging towards those outcomes that are in the, in the direction of our key performance indicators. So we, if we discover that people who you know, uh, are left-handed tend to like pictures the, where people are holding the beer in their left hand, we can start to bend the advertising message to make sure that all the images that we deliver to left-handed people have people holding their beer in their left hand. Of course, people holding their beer in their right hand would go to right-handed people. That kind of tailoring of messaging and tailoring of information. And then the fourth major trend, which is really important, and this is, you know, this is what ties it all together, is that we are now talking to our devices using what's called natural language processing. Natural language processing, I think of as the glue that holds these other three trends together. And it really brings them together in a very personal way because we're talking to our cars, we're talking to our televisions, we're talking to our phones on a regular basis. And the numbers are growing astronomically. You talk about a hockey stick. I mean, this, this is blowing up like a rocket ship. People are buying you know, smart speakers. They're hooking up TVs that they talk to. And the questions and the, the conversation right now is fairly basic. We're asking, our, you know, we're, we're asking our car for directions to the nearest restaurant. We're asking our television for a recommendation for a, a scary movie. But tomorrow and in the future, we're going to be asking our devices much more complex questions. We're going to be asking, you know, what kind of car should I buy? You know, what should I study in college? What kind of job should I seek? Who should I date? Who should I marry? And when we're asking those kinds of questions, we're going to find that the technology behind the invisible brand is going to be much more effective because we are going to be open and vulnerable at a much deeper 
level. So when we talk about psychology and technology combining into psychotechnology, we have to remember those four key trends, personalization, persuasion, the ability to learn, and the human-like quality of speech. And combining those into psychotechnology is really something new that we haven't experienced before and which represents a major shift, I would even say an apocryphal shift in marketing and, and more broadly in human society. William, I'll go with three of them. And I, and I do want to talk about how about machine learning more, but I'm going to take issue with you on the fourth one. The fourth one is uh, talking to machines. I think of the prince talking to a serf uh, a thousand years ago. And there was, because you, you use voice because it's easier, the, the prince used his voice because it was easier for himself. He didn't think any the higher of his of the serf when he was talking to him. Likewise, uh, you you cite in your book, oh, we are talking to our machines and anthropomorphizing them, and you cite a, a young child who says, oh, Alexis, I love you, Alexa, I love you. Uh, but all the adults I know with view this, uh, view machine language very much the way they view a the, the used car salesman who is feigning sincerity in, uh, in their personal lives and interests. They know it's a con job. We know it's a con job. And I am, I use my voice at at this machine because it's more convenient for me. And frankly, Scarlett, I have, it in no way increases my relationship with this machine. And I don't see where uh, the fact that we're using voice instead of typing it in is making me uh, more easily seduced. Bart, you are impervious, uniquely impervious <laughs> to natural language processing. I will never market to Bart. I, mental note, I've decided right here and now that I will never try to market to you, but, but <laughs> you are not representative of the entire population. And I'll just give you a, a quick example. Oh, thank God. Where, thank God. I, I, I have better hopes for the population than that. <laughs> we've, we've tested this. Now, what, what scientists did is they, they created a, a, an experiment in which the test group was asked to interact with a little robot. And when they did that, they mm -hmm. spoke to the little robot. They had a conversation. And yeah. at the end of the conversation, they were told to turn the robot off. Now, they reached over and they mm -hmm. turned the, the robot off, just as simple as that. Okay. The study group, on the other hand, was told to turn off the robot. And in the study group's experience, the robot protested. The robot said, please don't turn me off. I'm scared of the dark. And a surprising number of the study participants refused to turn off the robot after having a little conversation with it and having it protest that it was scared of the dark. Now, you and I, because you're impervious to this kind of persuasion, you know that that little robot was programmed to say, I'm scared of the dark. It wasn't really scared of the dark. But there's a significant portion of the population which empathetically translates their own personal experience, projects it onto that robot and says, I was scared of the dark when I was little, and I know how that felt. I'm not going to do that to this little robot. And because they're empathetic, they become open. They become vulnerable to this level of persuasion. And we can see this play out over and over again. In fact, the longer you interact with the device, the more empathetic you become. 
the more the less likely you are to actually turn it off the more you interact with it so we can see already that human beings experience empathy towards their devices and we know through scientific experimentation that that empathetic relationship makes them more vulnerable more open to persuasion well, I'll agree with you on two points. Number one, humans are empathetic towards all things, and we anthropomorphize. I don't like to see a, a, a seal being clubbed. Do I care? I mean, am I, am I, uh, no, but I don't want to – I can empathize. I feel that. Secondly, as, as, as uh, a species that is that when we are hypnotized, that is when we make our mind blank, we take suggestions rather than turn them down. So you're, you're right. And I, so I, I, I think uh, – I. Whether for better or ill, I think you're you're right in the, in the sense that we are that that uh, empathy is on the way. I did want to get to one thing though. You you talk about uh, how spyware records and data give us uh, they sort of pour through. They give us this list of stimuli, and the results record then gives us this sort of hazy picture uh, of prompts that might have inspired the result. And the machine then can come up with new pitches. But this is the machine learning. And you say it's made this perhaps frightening leap forward by a fascinating algorithmic dialectic. It's like the Socratic dialectic, really. You call it the generative adversarial network. It's miraculous. Tell us how uh, GAN works. First, I don't want to take credit for coining the, the phrase generative adversarial oh. network. That was somebody smarter than me. But a generative adversarial network is Are there a such critical people? component okay. of the way a lot of this technology works. And to explain it quite simply, imagine that you are set to the challenge of selling a painting at Christie's auction house that has been painted by a computer. So you're the programmer and you've got to, you've got to actually generate a painting from a machine and then you've got to sell it to human beings. Well, this actually happened. And the way they did this amazing feat was that they set two algorithms to work side by side. The first algorithm was generative. It went out and it created lots and lots, billions of combinations of images to choose from. The second algorithm was adversarial. It was the judging algorithm. It judged which of the paintings that the first algorithm generated were actually worthy, that would be something that a human being would actually purchase. And it did that by looking at paintings that human beings had actually purchased at auction. So it compared. So there's this creating algorithm running alongside mm -hmm. this judging algorithm. Now, by extension, I want you to think that we could do the same thing with writing. We can write paragraphs of text, and we're already doing this. We're leveraging generative mm -hmm. adversarial networks to generate text. And soon we'll be able to write so much text that you'll be able to create an entire book written by a computer. And that book will be generated in billions of combinations. And on the other side, an algorithm will be judging which ones of these combinations seems most like a book that humans would likely read. And so through that so we can get generative rid of the monkeys adversarial network, the monkeys and the typewriters have been, you know, have, they've been uh, replaced by algorithms. That's uh, absolutely right. I see. <laughs> Marvelous. Now, oh. now imagine, yes. uh, you know, other applications. Uh -huh. Think about the opportunity 
for creating a film. There's a, there's a Will Smith movie out right now where he plays himself as a much younger man. His younger self is actually a computer-generated character. So he is actually, right. as an older actor, I don't, hate, I don't know how old Will Smith is, but as, a, as an older fellow, probably my age, he is playing a much younger fellow in a computer-generated character. Now, imagine you equip an AI an artificially intelligent agent with a, a GAN, and you say, go produce a feature-length movie. Well, that may sound far-fetched today, but remember, it wasn't so long ago, it was in my lifetime, that we thought it was far-fetched that a computer could be used to animate a feature-length movie, and of course, they came out with Toy Story, and we all flocked to the yeah, movie right, theater right. to see a feature-length animated movie. Well, soon, Artificial intelligence will be able to do the same thing. It will be able to create a feature-length movie to our taste, to our likings, based on this kind of generative adversarial network. Well, to catch you right there on what you're doing, the the, the regeneration of Will Smith is a pixel recreation. It's uh, it's not nearly uh, what you're talking about, uh, and and that's a totally different thing than uh, grabbing, uh, the science grabbing its idea of a norm and doing what people would like best. They're doing what is most <laughs> appropriate for a man of 27. Anyway, enough of that. Uh, I, I must say we have to take a brief pause here. Uh, Will is going to continue uh, revealing the ways big data makes more personalized and invasive marketing right after you and I take this brief sorbet from today's Feast of Wisdom. So uh, allow me to offer you a few utensils for today's feast and the first utensil, as I always do, allow me to remind each of you hearing my voice that the good Lord has gifted you with the title and privileges of chief executive officer of yourself. And since that's really the most important position you'll ever hold in your career, allow me to ask, uh, may this be the day that you run through your daily weekly agenda and start simplifying your life by editing out those tasks that bring more distraction than enrichment, or... Will you continue to cling to routine of worn-out traditions, perhaps suggested by others? The choice, my friend, is truly yours. And as a second utensil, I can sense you yearning to steep your lips into a little laughter and taste a scriptural recitation from the 102 Best Business Quips book, for which I am reaching for at this dramatic juncture. And here we are. Okay, <clears throat> here we are. This one is number 67, Marketing is the art of pinning pears on an apple tree and selling them as exotic. <laughs> what do you think, William? Are the cynics right? Is marketing all about seduction regardless of the product? Well, I certainly think that in the world of seduction, um, we have to think in terms of the algorithm itself. So we've moved from an age uh -huh. where we were, strictly speaking, seducing the individual to where marketers need to understand they need to seduce the algorithm. And what I mean by that is we're living in an age where consumers increasingly seek recommendations from machines. We seek recommendations from right. machines to you know, choose our restaurants. We seek recommendations from machines to choose the products that we buy. People who bought this product also bought this product. It's a very influential tactic. And for marketers, they have to figure out how do I position my products and services in a way that the algorithm will in turn recommend my product. 
because consumers are increasingly very profoundly influenced by these recommendation tools. So seducing the algorithm has become a major part of marketing. So I would agree with that observation, except I might uh, substitute the phrase kind of seducing the algorithm. <laughs> All right. Well, very good. I uh, I was going to say just uh, that the, the the really best marketer knows that uh, the customer is the one who knows what the customer seeks, as you say, and whether he finds it from an algorithm or just from a chat hub. And uh, that if you can hold not only hold that uh, idea and that value to light, but actually serve in the product, you're going to do just fine. And if you smirked a bit over that quip, we have them literally by the books full. Just visit. <clears throat> I'm sorry, pick up your copy of 102 or the 101 Best Business Quip book, and you may begin filling your hard-laboring hours with a little jocularity and laughter for all your fellow chain gangers at work. There's a third utensil. We sumptuously spooned you the answer uh, to last week's business quotation. That is, who was it who said, he isn't a real boss until he's trained his subordinates to shoulder most of his responsibilities. Those words were spoken by none other than Cleveland's wise-witted publisher, the author of The Business of Life, Mr. William Feather. Congratulations, all you winners, winners, and stick with us, because later on in the show, blurting your way, comes another enriching quotations. And if you're among the learned souls who knows the author of that quote, simply scribble that sage's name down as you believe him or her to be, and email it right off to info at bartsbooks.com. And to win yourself... Uh, career-igniting gift, freshly disemboweled from the dungeons of Bart's Books Bookstore. And uh, our digital marketing's foremost guru, William Ammerman, will reveal more about how machines are making and nudging, I should say, human decisions right after uh, I introduce to you the company by whose good graces we're here today. That firm is Prometheus Publishing, who invites you to take scrutiny of their latest volume. It's a gem of a guide called CEO of Yourself, Getting Down to the Business of Your More Rewarding Life. And so just let me ask you, my friends, who's making your life choices? Are you directing the enterprise of you, or have you fallen into default mode? And is your governance bringing you, well, a more fulfilling life that you just know lies out there? CEO of Yourself helps you discover many of the marvelous assets and employ them toward your goals. And a little caveat here, CEO of Yourself is not for the lazy and it's not for weaklings. It makes you chief executing officer and helps insist that you form such things as principles, form your own character, sculpt yourself into the effective person you want to be. And if you have that kind of fire in your belly, my friend, well, uh, then you go for it and pick up your copy of CEO of Yourself. Just visit bartsbooks.com and pick up your copy. Uh, the minute this show ends, <laughs> carpe diem, my friend, you are worth it. Uh, and now let us return to our Feast of Wisdom as William continues to lay out his slightly scary and uh, vast, fascinating idea of digital marketing. William, uh, who's doing this uh this marketing, uh, this uh, artificial intelligence, um, broad data marketing best. You, you say in your book that Amazon does it because they use both ends of the funnel. What do you mean by that? Well, in marketing terms, we oftentimes speak of this imaginary funnel at the top of the funnel, 
we have kind of our broadcast message that goes out to everybody, plants the seed, gets people interested, you know, informs them of our product and service. At the bottom of the funnel, we have the people who actually drip through and actually purchase at the end of the day. And in between, we see a lot of people falling out for different reasons. And we have, you know, we graduate that funnel and we understand all the different tiers. What Amazon does is very interesting. Amazon has figured out how to own both ends of the funnel. Amazon has one end of the funnel where they say, people like you purchased this product. They're planting the seed. And on the other end of the funnel, they own the cash register. They see who transacts. They see who buys. And in the middle, we have what we, we call in marketing terms the attribution problem. It used to be that you'd advertise, you'd spend money, you'd buy radio ads and television ads and newspaper ads, and at the end of the day, somebody would walk into your store and buy something. And your problem was to figure right. out what ad, to what ad do we attribute this purchase? And that was mm. you know, traditionally spoken, that's the attribution problem in marketing. Today, Amazon right. has taken us one step closer to solving that because they can see the path that a consumer takes from the moment they've been introduced to the product to the moment they actually purchase it. They can watch all of that behavior and they can see what do you do on the way from being introduced to the product all the way to making the purchase. And if they figure out that this action creates this purchase, they can repeat that. And through that technology, Amazon is gaining a lot of ground in a space that has traditionally been owned by what we call the duopoly of Google and Facebook. Amazon is actually mm -hmm. carving out a big chunk of the advertising dollars that were formerly being captured by Facebook and Google. So Amazon is actually right, playing right. in the digital marketing game as a result of owning the cash register, of, of being able to solve this attribution problem. Facebook doesn't have a cash register. That's why they're trying to invent the Libra, which is their own currency. Ah. They figure if we can't own the cash register, we should own the cash because we can get a complete transaction record of what everybody's doing. You know, Google you get the same attribution cash scores from that. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I remember John Absolutely. Wanamaker uh, said uh, half of my advertising uh, dollars um, are totally wasted. The trouble is I don't know which half. And I think you're you're saying that we're that we we may come a little closer to that. But with this, I see something, and I see what I call the death of individualism. When I, uh, I I've got to say, and I, I realize that that uh, I, I am a, a, an admittedly unmarketable soul, I guess. But I when I hear seventy other people uh, like this. Um, and I watched this in ads. I used to say, so many other people are liking this. Uh, this was even before there was any uh, artificial intelligence in marketing. It was a, they were a trend that's saying, you want to join the common herd. Uh, you don't want to be a ahead of them. You want to you want to do what everybody. You want to buy what everyone else is buying. And this is uh, the AI is enforcing exactly this thing. Other other people may buy. You want to join the herd. Is there isn't there a kickback on that? Um, people saying, "No, damn it! I purchase what I purchase," uh, or am I am I totally mis misinterpreting it? Once again, Bart, you are impervious to this type of marketing. But <laughs> if I had to bet, 
if I had to make a bet between two styles of advertising, one that persuades lots and lots of people to do the same thing because others have done it versus Mm -hmm. do this and you'll be a pioneer and you'll be the only person that has ever done this. Here, fly our airline. Nobody else does. You know, that's not a very powerful marketing. Touche. I, you, right? you got me. So, I, I, you right there. You have just broken the <laughs> We have no living soul who's ever fit, finished a flight. Oh, that's marvelous. Well, I, I uh, sort of along that line, you, you, uh, you talk about the choices, and and you had said yourself, we are. Right now, we're asking, you know, what cars are my price range to buy? What, what, where can I meet similar experienced people? And you said, but, but pretty soon we're going to be asking Mrs. Nobot, uh, as, as you said, what car should I buy for my family? Whom should I marry? Uh, what's my best college, best career choice? And do, do, I'm just curious, do you see this sort of as a seeding of personal judgment or just trusting another authority whereas in the past we would trust the the fellow down the road because he seemed wise and now we're trusting the machine because it has the experience the the not wisdom but it has the the data com- compilation is is that so so it's really not that big a shift well now wait a minute you you were right there you had me right up until you said it's not that big a shift i think it's a huge shift and i what i think it's okay. a shift of is okay. that we've moved from an era in which marketers had you know, been replaced by individuals. The power had shifted to the individual because we could suddenly search the Internet. We suddenly had all of these new tools at our disposal. And I think to a degree that the pendulum is swinging back in the direction of the marketers. The marketers are gaining new power over individual consumers. And so I think the shift mm-hmm. is that mass customization is replacing kind of the consumer's ability to make these individual judgments. Now, people will still be able to make individual judgments, but the ability for marketers to subtly and imperceptibly bend those decisions towards their own products and services is profound, and it is a major shift. People are already being changed by this technology, and the challenge for CEOs and business owners is what I like to call innovation exhaustion. We have been innovating. Every 10 years, there's something new that you've got to figure out. 20 years ago, you know, we it, were introduced to this whole search engine technology, and we had to figure out search right, engine exactly. optimization. It was like speaking a new language for CEOs. They had no patience, right. no time for it, and many CEOs – failed to embrace it because they didn't understand the technology. Today, they're facing a similar challenge. Today, we're facing voice user interfaces. People are now talking to their devices rather than using the graphical user interface. Well, that changes everything. That changes the fundamental way that search works. When you get a search result from a voice engine, you're getting a, you know, one or two recommendations at best. That's very different than being presented with, you know, 30 pages of Google search results. So our behavior right, is right. changing as a result, and the, the CEO who is suffering from innovation exhaustion, where they have to innovate right. continuously and embrace new technology, they're becoming tech inert. They're becoming tech complacent, and that is deadly. Right. So for the CEO that's listening, I would say tap into your inner curiosity. Get 
into the mm-hmm. business of figuring out the voice user interface now because it is what search engine optimization was 20 years ago. This is the next iteration of change that you have to figure out how to embrace. Can your products and services be found using voice? Go try to find your company. Go try to find your business on Alexa, on Siri. Can they find, can the consumer actually find and purchase your products today using voice? The voice commerce business is exploding. It's going to be, you know, 80, $100 billion industry in the next five years, probably by 2023, in fact. So even a less time. And when we look at that time range, we start to ask ourselves, who's going to make it and who's going to be left behind? And that's a major challenge for CEOs and business leaders today. Are your products and services ready for voice? Oh, I, I think that's really – you've just touched off and you've just walked to the end of the springboard and given us a great spring forward into a whole new subject. And uh, – and and then you say, but and so I have to say, well, we're running a little late, folks. So good night. And so uh, you have fooled me, sir. So what I would like to do, if I can, I have one more question for you, and then uh, I was going to ask if we could uh, invite you back to have you talk about. We've talked about the effect of the people and the machines. Could I have you back? And this time we will talk about how business may best take advantage of these tools perhaps would you could i seduce you back for another show i would love to that would be great oh wonderful well uh, as a final question i just want to say that in your excellent uh and revealing book the invisible brand marketing in the age of automation big data and machine learning uh could you tell us a, where we can get a copy, and also, if we want to learn a little further to have you come speak before us or perhaps uh, help us with our digital, our own digital transformations, how could we get in touch with you? How can we to expand our horizons? Yeah, you can get in touch with me through my website, which is my first initial and my last name.com. So my first initial is W for William. My last name is Ammerman, A-M-M-E-R-M-A-N. So it looks like whammerman.com. And regarding where to get it, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, the usual suspects, simply say, Alexa, buy the invisible brand by William Ammerman, and it will (laughs) arrive at your door tomorrow morning. Which is a frightening, frightening thought, but absolutely, it is. It is true. The business is getting smarter. They don't make buying cheap; they make it easy, and uh, that's 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 another change. But for another day. So, uh, William, I thank you so much for coming on, and we're going to have you back real soon to uh, get to the other reason that you wrote that you wrote your marvelous book. Thank you so much. Okay, we will talk soon. Uh, And as we round out today's feast, I am Bart Jackson, your curator of business wisdom, leaving you with today's business quotation. That is, who is it who said, a litigant is a businessman who is about to give up his skin in hope of retaining his bones. (laughs) I love it. 
the author uh, a hit is, is a, to the individual who said this. The, he was the author of the Devil's Dictionary and had the annoying habit of describing things as they are rather than as what we wish them to be. And so remember, if you know the author of this quote, simply scribble that sage's name down as you believe him or her to be. Send it right off to info at bartsbooks.com. That's I-N-F-O at bartsbooks.com to win an absolutely career-igniting gift, freshly disemboweled from the dungeons of Bart's Books Bookstore. And be sure to tune in next week to the Art of the CEO Radio when super attorney Randy Friedberg uh, takes the uncommon sense uh, mastery of intellectual property and makes plain all that vastly misunderstood realm of copyrights, trademarks, authorship, ownership, and overlapping rights. And Randy is going to share some very fascinating tales of how the works of top film producers, publishers, and creative artists all get blended into a final product. And as a, So do tune in, and as a parting shot, in the words of my wife's husband, all of us harbor a little self-doubt, except, of course, complete fools, and the trick is to toss that doubt aside with a wink and a grin and launch into those hero-creating words, Oh, what the hell? <laughs> and to you, gleefully sharing our feast, I hope you've enjoyed the Art of the CEO uh, as much as William and I have enjoyed bringing it to you. Remember that you may download this and all our shows by visiting theartoftheceo.com. And finally, to you, who have honored us with your time, may I say, as always, it has been a privilege, and I thank you.